Luke chapter number 17 this morning. Turn in your Bibles with me. Luke chapter 17. I'm going to say this. Since all you Christmas people have stole Thanksgiving from us, and you started celebrating in July, I've made my mind up that I'm going to celebrate Thanksgiving until February. I'm going to eat turkey and dressing and pumpkin pie, and you're just going to have to live with it. And you can jingle bell your way all around if you want, but I'm going to just continue to be in a Thanksgiving mood for a few more days at least. And this morning, I'd like to preach out of Luke chapter 17 on the topic of gratitude. It's what's on my heart. It's what we've been talking about this Thanksgiving season, how thankful that we are. And I want us to look in the Word of God, and I want us to learn something about gratitude this morning. Luke chapter 17, let's begin in verse 12. Very familiar passage of Scripture, I trust to most of you. The Bible says, And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. <clears throat> and it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Let's pray together. Father, we love you this morning. Thank you for the word of God, that it is true, that as we approach to the word of God, we're not approaching the speculative thoughts of men, but the inspired words of God. Help us to approach it with the right spirit and attitude today. Lord, we need to hear from you. We need you to do a work in us and Father, as has always been, we need you far more than you need us. So help us this morning as we've come to this place to not just be exercising some ceremony or formality, to not just be checking a, a box on our week and not just be fulfilling a duty, but have come here today to hear from you. For Lord, that's what we desperately need. I pray that you would have your will and way in this service. And I pray that each and every heart would be touched in exactly the way that would please you and that we would respond in obedience. Lord, I'm so thankful for all you've done in my life. Words would fail, not just my words, but every word. Lord, if I could scoop up every word that's ever been spoken and lay it at your feet, it still wouldn't say all that needs to be said of what you've done in my life. And I'm so grateful, Lord. I'm so thankful for your goodness and grace. Help us this morning to honor Christ and all that's said and done. Lord, we love you, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. This is one of my favorite stories in the Word of God. The Lord Jesus comes upon these ten broken and dying men and changes their life for both time and eternity. It is probably one of the most dramatic miracles that the Lord performed. He didn't just heal one man. He healed a whole multitude of men in a single moment. Think about for a moment with me what an amazing thing that it must have been to experience this miracle. When I read this passage, I, I notice first off that this is a story that is at its heart about grace. 
It's about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's healing both Jew and Samaritan in this passage of Scripture. He's making no distinction betwixt the two, but he rather in his grace and in his love and in his compassion is healing them because they are as broken men seeking healing from the Lord. It's a story about grace in the Savior's mercy. I like how they cried unto the Lord, and I think they did it the right way. They said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. In other words, they didn't lay a claim to Him that they didn't have, uh, like the Syrophoenician woman did when she called Him the Son of David. Uh, They didn't foolishly charge Him as some others did in His earthly ministry, but they just spoke to Him how they knew Him. They called Him Jesus. That's the name that they knew Him by. That was His human name. Uh, Of course, everything in your Bible has great significance. And it's interesting that the Holy Spirit permitted these men to call unto Him in His earthly name. You know why? They were calling out to a Savior that was, as we said earlier, touched with the feelings of their infirmities. In His humanity, He suffered. In His humanity, He identified with fallen man. And hey, that's what He's doing here. He's identifying with these broken individuals. Man, I'm thankful for the Savior's mercy. They cried and said, have mercy. Mercy, and I like the Bible says he answered. Amen. The Lord, when we cry for mercy, he answers us. It's a story about grace in the Savior's mercy, but it's a story about grace in the Savior's ministry. Think about who he is ministering to. He is ministering to literally the lowest of the low. They are not just lepers. They are a mixed multitude of Samaritan and Jewish lepers. In fact, this Samaritan man that comes to him and renders him praise would have been considered especially deplorable in the eyes of culture at that time. I mean, he is a twice-cursed, unwanted, undesired, hated, despised individual. And that's the very man that the Lord Jesus comes to. Man, I'm glad he comes to the lowest of us because that's what it took for a lot of us. I mean, uh, listen, I was raised in a gospel home. I was raised in a Christian school. I was raised in a Bible-believing church. But I was headed to the same hell that the worst drunkard that ever walked the face of the earth was headed to. And he had to reach down to pick me up out of my sin. I'm glad, man, he ain't afraid of them. There's another man that's a leper in the Word of God. We're not preaching on it this morning, although we might a, a little bit. Amen. Uh, there's another man that comes to Jesus, and, and Jesus looks at him, and uh, the, the man says, If thou wilt, uh, thou can cleanse me, thou can make me whole. Uh, and it, the Lord, sa- the Bible says he reached out and he touched him. Now, the man's a leper. Let me tell you something about the righteousness of Christ. It is so amazing that when he reaches out and touches a leper, he's not made unclean, the leper is made clean. Man, what an amazing Savior that we have. It's a story about grace in the Savior's mercy. It's a story about grace in the Savior's ministry. But it's a story about grace in the Savior's miracles. The fact that he's willing to work personally and powerfully in the lives of those that need him. I'm glad we don't have the deist God, the great clockwinder of the universe that sits up behind the heavens somewhere, uninterested in mankind. That's how a lot of people believe God is. A lot of people believe He just wound this world up like a clock and set it in order and stepped back and has no interest and no dealings with humanity. I'm glad our God is not that way. If you read your Bible with honesty, one of the things you have to come away with is that God is both deeply interested and deeply involved in His creation. He is interested in 
in what happens in your life. There's been a lot of people that was the very light that shined into the darkness of their soul when they realized that God, I'm talking about God, the God of glory, the God of the universe, the God of creation, knew their name took thought of them, considered them. This is a story about grace. But I don't want to preach on grace this morning. (laughs) You all right this morning? Some of you all don't know how to take me, and I know that, and that's all right, and I guess you'll get used to me, and I guess I'll get used to you, but you helped me a little bit this morning. Uh, It's a story about grace, but we ain't going to preach on grace, even though we already preached on grace. Instead, I want to notice that this is a story about gratitude. It's amazing what the Lord does in this man's life. But the thing that the Scripture draws attention to is how this man responds to the Lord Jesus. I think if we focus on the nine, we've missed what the Lord is trying to teach us. I certainly don't want to be like the nine. I want to be like the one. And when we read the story of this man's miracle, it is a story about gratitude. What gratitude does, what it births in the human heart. Thankfulness has been spoken about much in these past couple weeks. And I think that's a good thing. I'm not so much of a cynic that I can't appreciate, even when a world that isn't thankful talks about thankfulness. But I would say that you and I as believers have a proprietary claim upon thankfulness, for we've tasted and seen that the Lord is gracious. If anybody ought to be good at gratitude, it ought to be God's children. If anybody ought to be good at gratitude, it ought to be God's people. And when I read about this man's life, I learn about the fruit of gratitude. It's a story about gratitude. It's basis. In other words, why is he grateful? It's behavior. What does it do in a man's life when he is grateful? You can say you are grateful or you can show you are grateful. There's a difference between the two. A great many people have said they are grateful And it's not my place to say whether you are or not, but just to point you to Scripture and ask you this question, according to the Scripture, are you really grateful? And then it shows us the benefits of gratitude. Can I tell you this? You ain't going to be the loser for rendering God praise. You ain't going to be the lesser for giving God uh, thanks and gratitude. Notice with me, number one this morning, the basis of this man's gratitude. For in many ways, though I'm not a leper and I've never been afflicted with this disease, and I trust that you haven't uh, either and aren't this morning. If you are, just squirt a little of that hand sanitizer. That'll kill anything. So, I, I, But this man's experience in many ways reminds me of what the Lord has done in my life. The Bible says, as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. They lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Notice three reasons this man is so grateful. And three All of them should have been grateful. This isn't in my message, but I'm going to say it anyway. Not everybody that should be grateful is grateful. I'm going to say that again. Not everybody that should be grateful is grateful. If you're saved by the grace of God, you should be grateful. You should be grateful in your life. Hey, let me let me not. Hey, uh, more people are ungrateful than are grateful by a far margin. There's far fewer people that let the attitude of gratitude, the spirit of thankfulness, infect their life like this man did. All of these men experienced the same miracle. Only one of them is grateful. What was the miracle that they had experienced? Well, I'd say, number one, that this man, he was diseased, but then he was made clean. 
He had a sickness festering within him and without him that was consuming, corrupting, and destroying his body. To be a leper at this time in human history was a death sentence. This man would have been hopeless. This man's disease was an ugly, vile, destructive disease. He would not one day go to sleep quiet and beautiful in the solitude of his home, but his body would just rot away and fall off piece by piece until it lost something that it couldn't do without. This man is diseased. He is unclean. He is ostracized. He is expelled from polite society. Uh, It's interesting. The law of the leper in the Old Testament was that they had to be isolated in their own colonies. They had to stay and keep a distance away from those that were clean. And if they were crying, if if somebody approached them, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean. This man's life was defined by the disease that he was afflicted with. Preacher, it's terrible, it's awful, it's wretched, it's vile, and it's just what you and I were before God saved us. When you read in the Bible, leprosy is invariably always a type and picture of sin. It's effect on the, the human condition. And I will tell you this, sin does exactly what leprosy does. It rots, it corrupts, it consumes. It robs you of your function and of your value and of your agency. And it does so piece by piece until finally you lose enough in life that it's just not worth going on anymore. There was no remedy. There was no medicine. There was no procedure that could be done that could try to expel this leprosy from this man's body. He has an incurable wound that nobody can do anything out until he meets the master when he meets the great physician he is healed and he is cleansed and he is made whole i'm glad he met jesus that day because nobody else could have done it for him and aren't you glad you met jesus that day because nobody else could have done it for you. The priests couldn't do it for you. The preachers couldn't do it for you. The churches couldn't do it for you. The baptismal waters couldn't do it for you. Your commitments and your empty promises that every one of you broke to God couldn't do it for you. None of them could do it for you. Nothing could do it for you because only He could do for you what you could not do for yourself. This man, he has much reason to be grateful. The all-consuming reality of his life is changed miraculously in a moment. And he goes from being diseased, unclean, unwanted, hated, and despised to being made clean in the eyes of man and God. He was diseased, but he was made clean. Let me say there's a second reason he's a grateful man, and that's because he was dying, but he was given life. You see, leprosy was a fatal malady. It would eventually consume and destroy the body to such a degree that a person would succumb to it. It would snuff out life. And even the life that persisted when a man was still breathing was really no life at all. You could rightly say of these ten men that they were dead men walking. Nobody would have invested in them. Nobody would have counted on them. Nobody would have looked to them to have a need met because you didn't know how long they was going to be there. They were just breathing, but they were not living. They were dying men awaiting for death to finally overcome them and take the mastery of their life. It reminds me of what you and I were before God found us. You see, the problem with the lost man is not that he's a bad man. I've known lost people that were good people in however we want to term that. 
They were moral people. They were somewhat trustworthy people. It's funny because the, one of the great uh, points of contention uh, between theists and atheists when it comes to the matter of debate is they'll say, can you be good without God? And that's really the wrong question. The question is, can you be alive without the Lord? The problem with the lost man is not that he's a bad man. There's lost people that are bad people. There's lost people that are good people in a moral sense, in a societal sense. And if you don't think that there's bad people that are saved, you ain't been going to a Baptist church very long. God's main contention with man is not that he's bad. That's a byproduct. That's just the stink of putrefaction off of the condition of who and what he is. That's why a man can self-reform and self-renovate, turn over new leaves and commit himself to new ways, and it is all to no avail and it doesn't impress God, is because the problem with the lost man is not that he is bad, it's that he is dead. And he must be given new life. These were dying men, but they were given life, just as you and I. Ephesians chapter 2, you could quote it, but God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, not deep in sins, dead in sins. Don't matter how deep you are in sin if you're dead in sin. Uh, it doesn't matter. Hey, listen, if you've got some old dead corpse or carcass of some animal and you lay it down in a little puddle, it won't ever get up out of that puddle just as surely as if you cast it into the depths of the sea. The problem is not how deep it is. The problem is how dead it is. Amen. We were dead in sins, but he hath quickened us together with Christ by grace. Ye are saved. He was a diseased man made clean. He was a dying man given life. But then I would say this. He was a distant man that was brought near. Notice how your Bible says it in verse number 12. There were ten men that were lepers which stood afar off. Now, this wasn't by accident that they did this. They were commanded by the law to do this very thing. And even had the law not commanded it, undoubtedly society would have required it. They were required to keep a distance from people. There had to be a distance between what was clean and what was unclean. You know, God's always made a distinction between what's clean and what's unclean. And because these men were unclean, they weren't allowed. Because they were ceremonially unclean, they couldn't go before God. Because they were physically unclean, they couldn't approach before men. These men are afar off. But I like how the Bible describes it down in, uh, let me find it here, verse number 16. The Bible says this man fell down at his feet, giving him thanks. Something changed between verse 12 and verse 16. Verse 12, he cannot come nigh unto any man, even unto the master. But by verse 16, he's falling down at his feet. You say, preacher, what's the difference? Well, his disease was dealt with. His disease, his malady, his affliction was dealt with. And now him that had been at a distance, him that had been separated, him that could not rightly approach unto God can fall at God's feet and worship him. Isaiah 59 says this, that it, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy, that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Can I tell you this, even if a lost man could figure out a way to make himself right with God, he couldn't get God to get to God to make himself right with God. One of the questions Job asked and pleaded for was a daysman betwixt. A daysman was an intercessor. 
somebody to stand in between. I'm going to use a good New Testament word, a mediator. There's one God between, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Even if you think what you could do might impress God, let me go ahead and just tell you, lest you're disappointed it won't. But even if what you can do you think would impress God, you can't get to God to impress Him in the first place. You're distant. You're held at a distance from Him. Is that the will and desire of God? Well, obviously not. Because Ephesians 2.13 says this, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Hey, listen, that's, that's who our God is. He wants His people to be nigh unto Him. He's not hiding away on the moon. He's not veiling Himself behind philosophy and, and vain deceits. He's not shielding Himself with a human priesthood betwixt Him and His people. But He wants to draw nigh unto you. I'm thankful this morning, hey, because what is said about this man could rightly be said about you and I. I see the basis of his gratitude. But then notice number two with me, the behavior of his gratitude. When this man leaves and he's traveling on his way, he sees that he is cleansed. Now that tells me something. It tells me that the manner under which he was cleansed is miraculous. There's two reasons for that. One, because it happens in an instant. It happens in a moment. But two, because there are rigorous protocols in the Old Testament whereby a high priest or a priest that was trained with a trained eye to examine and scrutinize and diagnose a leper would have to follow to be able to ascertain and determine whether a man's leprosy had truly healed. In other words, this man would have had no way to look down at his hands and his feet and his legs and know he was healed except that God healed him completely. I'm glad God... Hey, listen, all religion can do is help you scab over. But God can make you a new man. That's all religion does for mankind. It just tries to let them paper mache scab over the festering open wound of man's brokenness. And that's all it can do. That's all it can hope to do. But I'm glad the Master does more than that. He takes that incurable wound and He makes it clean and fresh as though it was never even there. This man is walking, he is going to the priest, he is doing as instructed, and he looks down, and all of a sudden he's cleansed, all of a sudden he's whole. And nobody has to tell him, he doesn't have to go through a class to learn it, he doesn't have to get a correspondence course to work it out, he just does what is instinctive. Verse 15 says, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. You don't have to teach new Christians to praise the Lord. That's what they want to talk about. Why would they want to talk about football? Why would they want to talk about politics? Why would they want to talk about hobbies? They've just been made free. That's what they want to talk about. And so this man didn't have to be taught any of these things. He didn't have to go through a course and, and a discipleship program, be taught and shown and go through studies. He just looked down and he was healed and he was told. And he said, i got to tell somebody what the Lord's done for me. So what is the behavior of a grateful person? Well, notice four things. Number one, it produced a recognition. The Bible says when he saw that he was healed. Grateful people notice when they're healed. Grateful people notice when God works in their life. Part of gratefulness is acknowledging and recognizing God's working in your life. You know, so many of us, we're like the hog that never lift her head up to look and see where the provision has come from. And that's a product of our ingratitude, of our ungratefulness in our life. 
I'll tell you this, it's interesting. Uh, the, the recipe for more gratitude is actually gratitude. The more that you pay attention to what God's doing in your life, the more you're going to notice that God's doing things in your life. Invariably, people I've met in my life that felt like God had fell off of His throne and abandoned them and forgotten them always have the focus on themselves. Their problems, their plights, their pity, they're focusing on the things that they're going through. Now, that's only human. But what's grace for if it's not to make us act in supernatural ways? Say, preacher, it's natural to do that. I know, but grace makes us supernatural. Grace changes what is what is expected behavior. And so you, you say, well, preacher, how can I be more grateful? Well, one of the things you can do is stop for a moment and take a survey of your life and notice what God is doing. I promise you God's working more than you even think He is. There's never been a time that I've looked for God that I didn't find more of Him. Every time I took a few moments to look for Him, I always found more of Him. I knew He was working in my life, but when I took a few moments to stop and think about the things that had happened and think about how God had provided and protected and, and planned and guided, I always, like Nehemiah, I looked backward and saw the good hand of my God upon everything in my life. So this man, his gratefulness, one of the things it produced, it produced a recognition. Number two, it produced a returning. The Bible says he turned back. Now, there's a lot we could say about this, isn't there? I would say this, that that repentance of known sin in our life is the natural response of a grateful heart. Uh, Listen, don't tell me that you're grateful when you're living with sin, hedged up and entrenched in your life. What would suggest that you're grateful when you have known sin in your life that you refuse to confess and forsake? Then I would say this, that in our life, here's one of the things that it does. And I, I'm preaching over my sermon here in a moment, but, but, but one of the things, it made him want to go back and see him again. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the nature of this man's illness, the degree and extent of it was. He might have been blind when he cried out to the Lord and he had never seen the one that had healed him. It might have been that, that Because he was at a distance. I don't know what prompted it, except that he just said within himself, I've got to see the one that's doing this amazing work in my life. So what did he do? He turned back and he went back. And I'll tell you, gratefulness will do a lot to keep you out of the far country. Gratefulness will do a lot to keep you out of sin. I'm not saying that you can't be grateful and mess up. I mean, I listen, I, I suppose that all of us, if we're grateful at all, it's true that in gratitude and in gratefulness on the whole, we still made a mistake in our life and, and sinned. I'm not saying it's not possible, but I'm saying this. Like the old timers used to say, gratefulness will make you live with short accounts. When you've done wrong, as we all do, if you're really grateful to the Lord for what He's done, then it won't be long. You'll be turning back. You'll want to see the one that's worked in your life. I would say it produced a recognition, it produced a returning, it produced a retelling. I like how it says it, with a loud voice glorified God. Quiet Christianity is an aberration. Quiet Christianity is not the norm. Quiet Christianity is not the biblical standard. Loud Christianity is. With a loud voice he glorified God. Then whisper, then whisper. With a loud voice he glorified God. Preacher, why did he get loud? Because God had healed him loudly. So he praised him loudly. God had done an amazing thing in his life. And he just, again, I don't think anyone had to tell him. Somebody might have been willing to tell him to calm down, but I don't think anybody had to tell him to rev up. He, I remember hearing years ago a story about Maze Jackson. I mean, I'm not old enough to be telling years ago stories, but here I am. 
I remember years ago reading, I don't know if I read it or heard it or where it came from, but it was about Mays Jackson preaching a meeting somewhere up north. He was in one of these, uh, you know, churches where, you know, round mouth singing and real formal and everything. And, uh, the, the way he described it is he said it was, it was like ice ran down the center, uh, you know, aisle of the church. He was describing, he said, as he was preaching, he said, there's this lady in the, in, in the back that she started to get happy in the Lord. She started to rejoice. And he said that he noticed every night of the meeting she'd come and she'd get happy in the Lord. She'd start to rejoice. And he, he said he started to notice. He looked over and the preacher, he'd get real nervous when she'd start to do that. And look around and the deacons, they'd start getting real nervous when he'd start to do that. And finally, on the last night of the meeting, she got up and she began to shout and she began to rejoice in the Lord. And somebody spoke up and said, Brother Mays, I sure wish you'd set her down. And he said, Brother, I didn't stand her up. I'm not going to set her down. What place is it of mine to do that? <laughs> hey, listen, I, I, I'll tell you, and you, you may not worship the Lord in the same, in the same volume or in the same cadence or in the same cultural expression that I may worship the Lord, but I will tell you this, a grateful heart will want to tell folks. A grateful heart will want to tell folks. We've really, man, we, we, we've become so formulaic with this matter of, of being a witness. And, and listen, I believe if you can get them to heaven by getting them down a Romans road or a Grecian road or a Persian road or even a, a, an I-40 Knoxville road, I don't, nobody gets down those roads. God bless you. Get them there. I'm not against that. And, and understand, we're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. It's not your stories or my stories that save a person. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the word of God. But I will say we've become so formulaic in our perspective that I think we've missed this thing of, of testimonial soul winning. Telling people what he did. Telling people what he did. Hey, I was lost. I was hopeless. I was broken. I was nothing. I was hell bound and I deserved every ounce of it. But God, who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith he loved us, even when I was dead in trespasses and sins, quickened me together with him and raised me up to sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show his exceeding kindness. In other words, tell folks. If you're grateful, you'll tell people about it. We're getting ready to come in Christmas, and you'll you'll be telling people about all the things. That, well, my wife, she got me a chainsaw sharpener. I'm so grateful for it. I needed a chainsaw sharpener, and I got and the kids. They got me another tie, and I got a pair of socks and and everything. And somebody got me some some long johns. And 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 and, and if you're grateful, you'll tell people about it. Why do we struggle to tell people about what He's done for us? Gratefulness will produce a retelling. But then I want you to notice verse 16. The Bible says He fell down at His feet giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. It produced a rejoicing. Gave him something to worship him over. Gave him something to fellowship with him over. Uh, it's funny, man. When the Lord heals you, you all of a sudden have something in common with him. you got something to talk to him about. And he begins to rejoice in what God's done for us. I think this thing of buttoned-up religion, I think it's foreign and alien to Scripture. Hey, Paul said this. He said, if we be beside ourselves, it is unto the Lord. He said, listen, if, if, if we're not, it's for your sakes. Uh, Paul said this, if, if our going to church, if we tone it down, it's just because it makes some of y'all nervous. It ain't because it offends God. That's what Paul said. If, if we glory, it is unto the Lord. If we be beside ourselves, it is unto the Lord. And I will tell you that in your life and mine, one of the marks of what God has done in our life ought to be the joy that we have uh, in the world around us. 
You remember the Queen of Sheba, she comes and she sees Solomon's servants. And the thing that astounded her was not how well trained they were. It was not how well outfitted they were. It was not how well skilled they were. It was how joyful they were. Happy are thy servants which stand before thee all the day. Happiness. Uh, Listen, the world, the world cannot, the world can, mm, how do I say this? The world can't replicate the joy of God. It can produce the happiness of good circumstances and the pleasure of sin for a season. But let me tell you something the world can't replicate. It cannot replicate true joy in the life of the believer. I'm not saying that if you're grateful, you'll never have hard days. I'm not saying that if you're grateful, you'll never get in a bad mood. I'm not saying if you're grateful that you'll uh, never have a bad spirit about things. Sure you will. But I will tell you this, if you do so, you do it in contravention of the gratitude of your heart. And one of the things that gratefulness will do is it will produce the joy of the Lord in your life. This man goes and he falls down at his feet and he just begins giving him thanks. He just begins rejoicing. He doesn't fall down at his feet and complain. He doesn't fall down at his feet and accuse the brethren. He doesn't fall down at his feet and and criticize and consume and bite and devour. Why? He ain't thinking about none of that. He doesn't say a thing about the nine that didn't come back. He doesn't say a thing about the nine that didn't come back. I'll tell you how most of us would have been. Well, not you. You're more spiritual than this. I'll tell you how I would have been. I would have slid in, popped carpet, fell at the face of Jesus and said, Lord, I love you. Can you believe what those people did? My soul. You ought to smile at them. That's why, I mean, if I was you, I'd smile at them. That's what I'd do. <laughs> but real gratitude doesn't do that. Really, he don't even notice. It's interesting. He, he, the Lord asks him, says, where are the nine? He goes, hmm. I, I quit caring about them the moment I looked down and was healed. Are they not here? Shouldn't they be? I don't know where they are, Lord. I, I, don't, I guess they're headed halfway to Jerusalem by now, trying to find a priest somewhere. I guess that's what they're doing. They're down there trying to find a priest and give the gift that Moses commanded. I just figured I'd come back to the one that healed me and rejoice at your feet. <laughs> I see that. I see the behavior of gratitude. But then I want you to notice the benefits of, of gratitude. Uh, listen, there's some blessings to having a grateful heart. There's some things gratitude does for you that nothing else will do for you. And this man, there were some things. It's not just what he gave the Lord in his gratitude. It's what he gained from the Lord in his gratitude. Now, that may seem a little a, a little contradictory. You say, preacher, it shouldn't be about us getting anything. It's not. But I'll tell you this. The Lord's not going to be outgiven in anything. And if you'll render him praise, he will bestow blessing. And that's what he does in this passage. Notice three things he gets because he was grateful. Notice, number one, the communion he shared. We already read it, but verse 16, the Bible says he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. I want you to think with me for a moment about what's transpiring with the other nine men. They have been told for years that they are unclean, unfit for God, that they can't approach unto God, and they can't even live within the camp, as it were that they as unclean have been expelled and excluded from having a relationship with God. And now the Savior has said to them, I've cleansed you, go and give your gift unto the priest. They begin immediately to travel in that direction. I think there's no reason to suspect that they deviated from that. They probably went and, and got the offering that was to be given and made their way directly to the priest. Now, why did they do that? They did that, one, no doubt, because it was commanded. But two, because they wanted to have a robust relationship with God. They'd never been able to have that. 
No doubt they desired greatly to be able to go before and, and to give peace offerings and to give meat offerings and, and to worship and to sing the songs there in, in the temple and, and to go and experience this amazing, wonderful thing called religion. And they went seeking to do that very thing. Now, this old boy, he's a Samaritan. He's been taught that ain't even where God lives. You remember what the woman at the well says? Uh, she says, the Jews say that we ought to worship at Jerusalem. Our fathers worship in this mountain. Uh, he's been taught that that's not even where God lives. And so, whenever he's healed, he is not distracted by the prospect of a relationship that religion might hopefully gain him. But he is rather focused on the reality of a relationship that Christ has already given him. So he turns around. He doesn't say, I'm not going to go all the way to Jerusalem and try to find God. I already found him. He's standing right back there. Who but God could do this? So he turns around and he runs back and he falls at his feet. This man got closer to God by seeking Christ than the other nine did by seeking religion. Now, I don't want to be too cynical. They're doing what the Savior commanded them to do. They're doing what, at that time, the operative means and system through which God was dealing with man. I mean, Judaism was not set aside until Calvary and the sacrifice was given. I'm not trying to be too cynical. I'm not trying to be too ugly. I'm just noticing this man got closer to God than anyone on earth that day because he was thankful. And in your life and mine, we want to get close to God. Hey, James said, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Draw an eye to God. He'll draw an eye to you. How do we draw an eye to Him? Well, I'll tell you, one of the ways we draw an eye to Him is by giving Him thanks. Giving Him gratitude in our life. Hey, He inhabits the praise of His people. You want God to show up? Just start praising Him. You want God to show up? And I don't just mean in church, by the way. I do mean in church, but I don't just mean in church. In your life. You say, preacher, I feel like God's abandoned me. I don't feel like God's anywhere. Well, just start praising Him. He'll show up. Show up, he's there the whole time. I see the communion that he shared. I see the commendation he received. Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. Now, there's two interesting statements we could make about this. One, there were two groups of people on that day, the nine and the one. And you didn't want to be with the nine. You wanted to be with the one. It's a gracious thing God doesn't give us their names because we'd probably cuss them. Boy, how low we think of these men that did not come back and give him thanks. We don't know this man's name either. He's just a Samaritan is all we know from the testimony of Scripture. But oh, what a glorious testimony it is that this man saw beyond the gift and saw the giver and came back and rendered praise that was due his name. Scripture speaks highly of gratitude. Scripture doesn't have a cynical attitude towards gratitude. Hey, some church-going people do, uh, some preachers do, some denominations do, but God has a high opinion of praise, a high opinion of gratitude. But then I would notice this. Not only do we think well of Him, but the Savior spoke well of Him. Here's one thing we can say without a doubt. We can say that the Lord was pleased with the actions of this man. His gratitude pleased the Savior. Do you care if you please God? I hope you do. I hope it matters to you that you please Him. Preacher, how can I please Him? Well, there's a lot of ways. But one way is that you can render Him praise, thanks, and gratitude. I see the communion He shared and the commendation He received. But notice finally, and I'm done, the conversion He experienced. This is what the Lord says to him. Arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. 
Now, I'm not implying God only saves thankful people. Because if that were true, uh, I wouldn't be saved. I've been very unthankful at times in my life. I'm glad for what the Bible says. I'm glad for what the Lord said in Luke chapter 6. That, that, that the highest He is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. I'm thankful for that. And understanding that there are many truths that could be drawn from this. Can I just notice this? I'm just going to skim along the top and pick this up and I'll be done. He got a greater blessing than the other men did. The other men were healed, but one day they died. But this man was healed in a way that death could not claim. He got something deeper than the miracle. He got something greater than the healing. He got something better than the gift. He got something greater than what they got. Gratitude purchased to him a deeper blessing. And I will tell you this. You think this whole exchange of gratefulness is done when you give God thanks. No, it's just beginning when you give God thanks. Paul talks about this at length in the in the uh, book of, of 2 Corinthians about gratitude and our giving and how it is this cycle and circle of uh, of God's working in our life. That is, as we bless others, they give thanks unto God and God blesses us and we give thanks unto God. And because He's blessed us, we can bless others and they give thanks for us and then they give thanks to God. And it's just this never-ending cycle of glory being rendered unto God. But you know what breaks that cycle? Ingratitude, ungratefulness, unthankfulness. And I'll tell you this, if you'll learn to be grateful in your life, you'll find that what God gives you through gratitude in many ways far outstrips what He's given you through the provision that He's provided in your life. God paid a bill for you. God bless you. That's wonderful. That's great. But He did something better for you than just pay a bill. I thought you had to walk by faith. God healed my marriage, preacher. Praise the Lord. That's wonderful. God did something greater Then heal your marriage. He showed you he's the God of all peace and the God of all consolation. Preacher, he he healed my disease. I was sick and he healed me. You say, do you believe that God does that, preacher? Sure, I do. I don't believe Benny Hinn does it. I don't believe Kenneth Copeland does it. Uh, But I believe God can do it. And, And I believe God can heal people. You say, preacher, God healed me of my disease. He made me whole in my body. Oh, he did more than that. He showed you that he's the great physician. So what are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying this. If all you think and focus on is whatever that temporal need is that's met, you've missed what God intends to do in your life. This man, because he came back and rendered spiritual gratitude and praise unto God, got a spiritual blessing from it. These other men went healed just as he was, but to die one day. You know, that bill that God paid, there'll be another one that'll come along. That sickness that God healed, there'll be another one that comes along. That problem that God solved, there'll be another one that comes along. But if you can learn to look past the gift and and, and thank God for the giver and who He is and draw from Him uh, the, the, the truth and the reality of, of what He's done in your life, if you can gain that spiritual blessing of going deeper than just seeing your need met, then you'll find what gratitude's really about. If you're saved by the grace of God, you've got reason to give thanks this morning. But I wonder, and we'd all say, oh, preacher, I'm grateful, I'm grateful, I'm grateful, I'm grateful. Can you look at your life and tell that you're grateful? Is there a retelling? Is there a recognition? Is there a returning? Is there a rejoicing? If there's not, hey, today would be a wonderful day to get started in that practice of gratitude. Let's bow together this morning. A musician's going to come and play. and I'm going to give you an opportunity to put into practice what's been preached to you. 
if God spoke to your heart about some matter, God dealt with you about some area of your life, why don't you meet Him in this altar? It might be about what was preached on. It might not be about what was preached on. But the Spirit of God took note of your life, drew something, your attention to it, and spoke to you about a matter this morning. If that's true, don't leave that undealt with. But instead, meet Him in this altar and let Him have His will and His way. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.